welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And Introducing, oppressed by the music industry, silenced for their art. It's Jared Leto and 30 Seconds to Mars. Yes, this week it's a movie episode as we dive into the wildly mediocre world of Oscar winner Jared Leto's alt-rock act as it struggles with their label EMI through his 2012 self-directed documentary Artifact. But first, let's introduce our guests from the Indie Heads podcast returning for their two-timer coin. It's Maddie Monroe and welcoming to the show, we have Gavin Wilkes. Welcome, Hail Leto. Hail Leto. <laughs> I, um. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I'm, you I'm, brought me here, Gavin, so I you know, better Hail Leto I'm, like I'm me. I'm so okay? excited to officially be the dumbest guy to ever be on this podcast. It's, it's an honor. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you why once we start talking about uh, the film. But uh, I've, I'm sorry, Maddie, for, uh, making, for making you do this. <laughs> well, we're very happy to have both of you here. And yes, this is an extremely stupid movie, uh, but it is interesting. It is a, uh, an onion of many layers of both stupidity and uh, attempts, uh, touches, uh, glimpses uh, at, at, at something actually in- incredibly interesting. Um, but we will get into all of that. And also, hi, Molly. What's going on? Hi, I don't know, you know, just hanging out with Jared Leto, my favorite rock musician. Oh, isn't he, isn't he all of ours? Okay, so. He's so dreamy. Oh, yeah. He looks like a renaissance prince. Uh, <laughs> I cannot believe that he is almost 50. I feel like, yeah. like I, yeah. I feel like with those, those, those Tom Cruise photos that came out recently, like, at some point, like, age aging is going to hit him like a brick it's just he's going to be looking like he's like in his 20s early 30s looking exactly like he like he has the uh makeup on for that new movie he's in with lady gaga and then he's gonna yeah he's gonna gonna turn he's he's gonna become that yeah Yeah. i think there's a portrait of him somewhere that is um in an attic and it's uh horrible looking and rotting and old and he's gonna look like that (laughs) forever but his soul is corrupt we all know this yes yes yeah there was a monstrous deal done at some point in jared uh letter past um he does seeing so much of him unedited in this documentary you like get it's that thing where you like see a person who's been in a in a movie like in less flattering uh footage or even a, a close in person you're like oh yes i get it you get why this person is a movie star like like his face is is like every angle of it could cut glass. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. even you know because it's a documentary, he allows himself to be a little uh, a little less put together uh, than you know movie premieres or uh, on set or whatever. But we will we we can get into exactly how vulnerable this documentary <laughs> uh, yeah, or, took- or how unflatteringly he allows himself to be seen in a documentary, which in the end. He directed. Yeah, I was gonna say it took a lot uh, out of him to allow Bartholomew into his home to uh, yes, film exactly. him <laughs> at, at his most vulnerable moments. Uh, I, I just, I gotta say it. Uh, look, uh, I watched this movie initially on my own with my brother, and I was like, "Boy, this thing fucking sucks." And then when we were talking about doing this podcast, uh, I did not read the email chain. Uh, I saw the seventeenth or the nineteenth or whatever, and I was like, "Okay, they must mean September." So as I'm watching. <laughs> Artifact for the second time in September. I'm, I'm going, wow, this movie really sucks. 
Did and you then, watch it again? <laughs> I, I watched it two more times over the past two days. And uh, <laughs> on the fourth watch, my mouth was just agape and spit was just falling off my tongue into my lap. Uh, I, I, I cannot process this film It's because anymore. you're you're thirsty. You're going, wooga, wooga, wooga. Uh, yeah, you yeah, know, Jared. Jaw off the floor, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right, so let's do a little context for what this thing is that yes. we're talking about. Yes. It is a documentary called Artifact. Uh, that is uh, directed by uh, wh- what is the pseudonym uh, Bartholomew Crungus or something? Yeah, uh, Bartholomew, Bartholomew Cubbins. Cubbins. Bartholomew <laughs> Bartholomew Cubbins, which is the pseudonym that Jared Leto uses to direct his own projects. So it is a documentary released in 2012, directed by Jared Leto about Jared Leto's band Thirty Seconds to Mars and their releasing of their uh, 2008 album is it 2008 2009 2009 the album comes out in 2009 their 2009 album this is war which was created over the course of a protracted contract struggle with their label emi in the years 2007 and 2008 uh so that is the context for this it is technically a documentary about the creation of the album this is war the classic album this is war that we all know and love the 30 seconds to mars album their third album this is war as they uh deal with their label that is the headline what the documentary actually is is 1000 other things and nothing (laughs) yes yeah uh, this this movie is mostly Rolling Stone headline screenshots. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. They did. They thanked so many media companies at the end because it, yeah. this was fifty percent um, screenshots of of news articles reporting on EMI basically shitting the bed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so l- let's start this by uh, as we usually start episodes. W- what are our priors with Thirty Seconds to Mars? Uh, does anybody have any real uh, attachment or, or experience with this band before uh, you know, uh, abs- you know, becoming immersed in them through the documentary? Yes, uh, so I do because one of the mer- one of the first music videos that I ever watched on MTV Two, I believe, Fuck yeah. was mm-hmm. the music video for "The Kill" by Thirty Seconds to Mars, the one that's basically like an homage to The Shining. And mm-hmm. I will state this for the record: I still love "The Kill." I still think it's a great song. It's maybe one of the only good songs that Jared Leto has ever made in his entire mm-hmm. music career. Um, it's a great song because it, it basically it came out in that perfect uh, like time zone where it was like uh, it was like between Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge and the Black Parade, mm-hmm. and it was yeah. like the public was dying for more of that shit. They wanted more of that emo stuff. And before uh, emo heads came at me, uh, as Gavin has stated in the podcast. Uh, true emo American football, whatever you want to call that kind of emo music. You guys lost the war. Yeah, the the term Sorry. has been fully reclaimed to what it is. It's just the it's year. Done. The year was uh, two thousand and four, and the whole nation screamed out for a rights of spring reunion. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love the Kill Music video. I love that song. Uh, but that's pretty much my only connection. It's just it's just a song <laughs> I really loved when I was when I was a kid. Well, and uh, and of course the the past year has been uh, rediscovering Jared Nixon. Of course, he's popped up every now and then, obviously yeah. through his acting career. But of course, we we talked about I believe we talked about from yesterday 
on the Butt Rock Number Ones, a song that uh, friend of the show, I think friend, friend, friend of the mutual shows here, uh, Rachel Millman fucking hated that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the real the real Jared obsession uh, began when we did the Car Commercial Number Ones, and uh, This Is Ooh, War yes. and Kings of Queens were both number ones on the modern rock chart. Yes, and- that classic uh, 30 Seconds to Mars song, King of Queens. <laughs> Kingo Queens. Kingo. Kingo Queens. They, just, they just love the Kevin James R. sitcom. Yeah, R.I.P. Kingo. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so when, so I, I have no real uh, attachment to this band, aside from when the very first, we did, we did this thing called the Car Commercial Number Ones. We talked about every song that went number one on the 2010s, like alt-rock charts. Chris and I were on that show. Yeah, yeah. We did. That was great. The, the, so everyone should listen to it who's listening to this podcast right now. The very first song to go number one in the 2010s was uh, King and Queen's. Uh, by 30 seconds to Mars. Which this is the first number indie indie number one of the 2010s? The first alt number one on the wow. Billboard charts. Yeah, and it, it fucking broke my brain. Uh, <laughs> just comp- It just shattered my brain wide open. Uh, I'm sure we're going to listen to some of this song at some point, because they play it about a thousand times in this documentary. See, uh, what, but, what, what that song points out is that the age of man is over. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he says the age of man is over. It begins with an eagle screech, and then there's like 30 <laughs> seconds of silence afterwards. Well, it's, that's the 30 seconds to Mars. That, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I play the eagle screech real quick? It's one of the things on, my, yes, on the yes. yeah. The classic, you know, uh, you know, MGM sound effects, movie sound effects vault eagle screech. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, aside from just having a weird brief obsession with this man uh, because of how fucking stupid his music is, uh, no, no real connection. And after the fil- after watching this film, uh, the connection has been severed uh, beyond repair. I would say not deepened. Oh man, uh, no, it's not crazy, quite. Because you yeah. you uh, you you dressed as Jared Leto during our car commercial I stream. Did. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I, I drew the tattoos on me. Uh, but yeah. Did you dress as Jared Leto like uh, in the? Because one th- interesting thing about Artifact is it was the last time that he looked normal. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then he he literally got Jokerified years before he you know actually played the Joker. Is that he like you know shaved half his head off and, and dyed it pink and yeah he just he is and now he's wearing shirts with weird necklines and stuff mm-hmm. like I guess that's like a thing that you're supposed to do at a certain point as a man. Um, but I actually thought he looked kind of like normal and good in this documentary. Anyway, which which way which way did you do it? He grew his he grew his beard out, grew yeah. the hair yeah. out, yeah, uh, and I think was donning some kind of robe during the stream. I have it. I can go put it on. Please don't. We don't, <laughs> we don't need to recreate the Jared. The that's Jared like here. that's like Jared, like on the cusp of like his his uh, true tr- finding out his true form. Yeah, um, uh, post post artifact, Jared. Post artifact, Jared. Yeah, I do think that he probably measures his life pre and post this movie as he should. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I was I knew of Thirty Seconds to Mars because I was uh, vaguely aware of alternative music at this time, but I was way more aware of Jared Leto as like a tabloid fixture because mm-hmm. I read so many tabloids in like 2007, 2000, 2006, 2007, 2008. And I just remember, like, there's a certain thing of, like, Us Weekly or, like, People Magazine. And if you were a celebrity who started a band and you were a certain tier, they would indulge you. And that's how they would refer to you. So, like, Jared Leto became, like, rocker Jared Leto (laughs) during this time. And I just remember thinking, like, okay, like, 100%. But I I did not engage with the music at all. I remember the kill. um, And being like, yes, he's definitely doing something there. 
Uh, but yeah, other than that, no, no like deep connection to 30 seconds of Mars until listening to the, uh, all, uh, alt rock number ones from the <laughs> 2010s. So yeah, I, I think I'm similar to Molly's that I was familiar with Jared as like an up and coming actor, probably more in his like fight club roles, uh, and, um, uh, Requiem for Dream roles. Yeah. And then, you know, I became aware that he was the guy from this band, 30 Seconds of Mars, and, you know, doing the initial write-off of like, oh, this is just another celebs band. This will never come of anything. And then they just kept coming back for more, and I'm like... They're big. They're, again, yeah, he's, they're, he, mm-hmm. they're a big band. Like, Jared Leto can, can actually is like one of the few, like, actors that are musicians Absolutely. that can make the claim that, yeah. like, he is just as big of a musician as he is an actor. Mm-hmm. Johnny yes. Depp wishes... Per- Honestly, he might be one of the few guys who's a fucking, he's an Oscar winner, and it, you could maybe argue that at least pre-pandemic, he was a bigger musician than an actor. Like, the world yeah. tour that they did on their last album is one of the biggest of all times. Like, they're massive. They're, they're also one of those bands where, you know, you know they play stadiums here, and, and people in America are like, 30 Seconds to Mars, the, the Jared Leto's, like, side project, and then probably go to, like, Buenos Aires and play for 100,000 people, you know? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Every time they came out with a new album, I'm like, oh, 30, 30, Leto's still doing this 30 Seconds to Mars thing? Is this a bit? And then, meanwhile, like, without me paying attention, it is uh, growing like a cancer in that nether sphere between, <laughs> like, actual indie and, like, above-ground, uh, like you know, sanctified, uh, 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 rock monsters. I, I, I don't know, you know, so, somewhere, somewhere between, uh, um, you know, cold play and I don't, I don't know, whatever would be the, the indie, the height of indie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know, I couldn't hum you a uh, 30 seconds of Mars song. I listened to a bunch of them before this and they it's all just so went easy, straight Chris. through me. You just go, whoa, yeah. that's most, that's most 30 seconds of ours songs. So I, I should state for the record, uh, Gavin, uh, this was Gavin's idea to do this podcast. I, <laughs> I am simply here as okay. Gavin's advocate. I'm simply here as his advocate, uh, but I did more preparation that I did listen to the entire 30 seconds to Mars discography in preparation for this episode. And, uh, would would you believe that the albums get worse as you go on? <laughs> uh, no way. <laughs> like that first, the first album, uh, which I think is a self titled, it's standard. It's 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 one of the most two thousand two ass albums ever. It's very standard fare alt rock with like some electronic, uh, met- you know, metal tinges in in there. Yes, it's perfectly fine. It's not a good record. It's not a bad record. It is perfectly listenable. Uh, a beautiful who, lie. Who would you say like most influenced that album? Like, if you could give it like a one to one comparison to somebody, I, I don't know. I feel like I want to say probably Nine Inch Nails. It's somewhere. Okay. It, yeah. It's somewhere between like a Nine Inch Nails and a Nirvana. It's somewhere okay. in that kind of combination. And then of course, Beautiful Lie is you know this is you know essentially kind of them being like, hey, we kind of want to. Jo- this kind of emo rock thing going on with like Mike Kim, we kind of want to get in on that, you know. <laughs> and then, which that record has again their best song in the kill. Uh, I think the fantasy is a pretty good song. The rest, uh, what what Jared does on that album, especially uh, <laughs> as he goes on, he he puts a lot of strain on his voice, mm-hmm. and he just does. He's not good at it. He can't put the strain on like a, like a Gerard Wake and put the strain on his voice. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's he is a fine singer, but has very definitive limits. And he tries to push those limits sometimes, and it doesn't really work. Uh, this is where, of course, the, the which is the, the 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 album that this film 
artifact is about, which is produced by Flood, which, by the way, there's a guy named Flood. That's incredible. Yes. I love that there's oh, just... Oh, yeah. He, he is so into Flood. He loves the Flood. Yeah. He wants the Flood. Uh, the with Flood, it, it's their, like, it's their stadium rock record. Like, hey, we're really going to make this push into playing stadiums. So, by the way, which I forgot to mention, they have the Guinness World Record, or at least they did at one point, for the most shows for one album cycle with 300 shows for the Beautiful Lie album cycle. They beat out Guns N' Roses. Wow. Uh, Use Your Illusion tour. Yeah, we were, we were talking about this uh, right before this, uh, and I was trying to look up who had the, which I couldn't I couldn't figure out right before we logged on if it was for the This Is War or A Beautiful Lie. But yeah, they, you know, they, they work it. I mean, say what you will about Jared, but he fucking works it. He does. Yeah. He is someone that, for better or worse, fully dedicates himself to whatever yeah. craft he's going for. I can't. I cannot call Jared Leto. You can please. say for worse. I mean, I, I, can, I can say that Jared Leto is uninspired, but I can't say that he's lazy. Sure. Yeah. So let's get into the documentary itself. Now that we've established, yeah. like, kind of what Thirty Seconds to Mars is uh, for us, and and kind of in the culture. Uh, a, a pernicious background band that it feels like nobody you ever have known uh, has liked or paid attention to or you've never heard mentioned organically in your private life, but nonetheless is secretly like one of the biggest bands in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is in that context that we drop in on Cold Open, the financial <laughs> crisis. Yes. Uh, the, mo- the movie starts with a montage uh, of... It, it, hey, it's 2008. The financial crisis is happening. John McCain's there. Uh, it, this montage end to ends on McCain poignantly uh, introducing yeah. Sarah Palin, uh, but not you don't see Sarah Palin, uh, it, which, which gives the hefty uh, implication of like you know Sarah, pa- you know the thing about Sarah, pa- you know like like the, trying to position them of being being like we're not gonna make fun of her, but I know. would have given anything for them to edit in uh, who's nail and palin at at this uh, <laughs> at this thing. Uh, but yeah, it a harsh opening. Uh, I would say uh, re- really sets the two thousand and eight mood. Could have done with some boom boom pow or something. Oh, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> well, if they could get the rights to literally anything in this documentary, yeah, uh, other than uh, Jared uh, uh, tickling the the keys. So we come <laughs> in on uh, the brothers Leto and uh, the other guy T- Tomo. Tomo, yes, yes. Tomo. Tomo, who is no longer in the band, he left the band yes. in 2018. The sole consistent ah. members, the the Leto brothers, and they have decided to make a new album. But what is this? They, uh, as it is introduced to us, they have unilaterally decided to pull out of their contract with EMI. Uh, that is theoretically a nine-year contract stipulating several albums, more more albums than the two that they have turned in. Uh, they have issued a polite note, as they would say, saying, uh, hey, there's an ancient California labor statute that says you can't be on contract for more than seven years. Uh, so we are uh, declining to deliver any more albums. Hope that's cool with you guys. Bye. They hopped yes. onto r slash uh, anti work and texted their boss and said, <laughs> "I won't be in today." And their boss said, "Bro, let's let's think about this before you just leave." Uh, yeah. Yes. And then they went to r slash law and were like, "My contract <laughs> says uh, I need to give six uh, five <laughs> albums over nine years, but uh, a law passed in 1942 says I only have to work for seven years. Am I good? Am I good? 
and that's the uh, inciting incident of this movie is and and the basic structure of it is 30 seconds to mars challenge to vaguely kind of it's never really said self-produce their third album while trying to extricate themselves from what they would say is their predatory contract with emi uh do you guys want to take it from there about where that's like the first three minutes of this. Yeah, well, uh, but that's I, also the entire movie. Yes, yes. Uh, I would. I'd quickly like to say that you develop a taste in music in the womb. Uh, that's I would say oh, the yeah. next place that we go. Oh, I was going to uh, get to that soon, but but yeah. but do you, do you want to, guys want to get a sense of what, what you get from the this setup as it's explained to you? Uh, I I am gonna bash my head against the wall if I think any more <laughs> about this uh, fucking lawsuit. <laughs> but unfortunately, that is uh, the movie. And all that yes. Jared wants to talk about, aside from being recognized on the street, uh, but just, it's just Jared on the phone. Yeah, it's Jared, it's Jared on the phone with guys. Uh, it should have been a mumblecore movie called Jared on the phone. <laughs> Honestly, the movie version of this uh, kind of last days movie. Uh, yeah. That is with some perspective, like Jared Leto just on the call on the phone with lawyers, like trying to get this album made while like barely playing the le- the album would be uh, m- much realer to it. I mean, I guess the thing that I was going to say is that, like, the the setup and the promise of this of this documentary in yes. the first few minutes is interesting in the broadest terms. And in its most interesting moment, as the documentary uh, spools out later, what was going on with EMI and its artists and the financial institutions that were taking control of it at the yes. height of the financial collapse is a fascinating story story of money, finance capital, uh, music, musical labor law, uh, m- the creative ownership of music. Like there is something very, very interesting at the heart of this documentary. The tragic reality of it is that every time it approaches something interesting, it cuts back to Jared Leto. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, it, it's when the OK Go guy comes on, I'm like, oh, this is a fascinating documentary. And then I have to see Jared Leto fucking hiking up the hill or whatever in his fucking like Jack Skellington helmet thing. Uh. I'm just. Yes. It's it's so fucking brutal. I just if if anyone was like if there was like someone following like a guy who just signed to EMI who was real bummed about this corporate takeover while also following Jared Leto, like yes. you might you might have something there. But totally. unfortunately, Jared Leto wants you to know he's having a good time uh, at the Latin uh, VMAs or wherever. <laughs> he's. Yeah, the Latin, yeah, the Latin VMAs. Too too much yeah. Jared. I would even want to rather hear about the guy talking about uh, how music <laughs> forms in the womb. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you yeah. met you mentioned this, and it's extremely funny because this was the first moment of the documentary that I was just like, what it, what is going on? That <laughs> it, it goes from like kind of setting up Thirty Seconds to Mars is clearly like a, a stadium filling band with anticipation for their album, and then this EMI stuff comes up, and then all of a sudden it cuts to like the guy who wrote the song like this or wrote the book like this is your brain on music and he's just like music is the most important thing to human beings and then it's like five other guys being like totally yes your brain processes music the same way it does drugs or like whatever the fuck they said i can't remember and it was just sort of i guess a reminder of like guys this is important this isn't, you know, yeah, this, is, it, this is the most important thing, is Jared Leto's lawsuit. It, mm-hmm. se- it sets up 
this yeah the, this the, the stakes of this movie the basic setup the album and the lawsuit and then cuts to a three to five minute long uh, talking head segment that where every talking head is some sort of expert but what they're saying boils down to music is so important yeah i really really wanted eric alper to show up here i would have oh, yeah. probably given <laughs> just totally. about anything for my for my, hey, my fam, mutual what's, a, what's an album that reminds you of a feeling yeah what album did you listen to in the womb <laughs> uh, it, yeah it literally yeah. is is that also every talking head in this movie is lit in the most dramatic like uh, half face like two two face like lighting yeah that it, it makes everyone look like they committed a crime at some point it's mm-hmm. great which i assume was jared leto being like we need to make this as dramatic as i feel that this situation is yes mm-hmm. do you do one of you guys maybe want to go into uh just so it's me not giving all the background uh the, yeah. the situation with uh is it guy hands guy hands yes, guy hands. Hands. yeah so, yeah. so, that, so that's the, basically the next the next situation and, and what is then the other side of the stakes of this emi battle so at least from jared's perspective which can we trust that really basically they you know the, they found this obscure seven years uh california contract thing and we're wanting to leave their label which you know if jared doesn't believe that the predatory deal which by the way it's like it wouldn't shock me basically they were in debt to their label uh, they'd never received any money from their music, at least in terms of album sales and whatnot. Um, and so they were like, all right, we're going to leave uh, EMI Virgin Records. And so as they're in the process, basically what was happening was like, I think EMI sued them before anyways, but basically it just seemed like they could actually like talk and like work it out. And then uh, a financial capital firm, I don't even know, uh, called Terra Firm, started by... <laughs> A guy named Guy Hands. Guy Hands. Guy awesome. Hands. A real name. A real name for a dude. Uh, he buys. I assume this guy is British. He must. I be think British. he is. Yeah. 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 Uh, they buy uh, EMI, and you know, basically like one of these predatory kind of buying deals. It's funny because uh, throughout the documentary, there are uh, various uh, talking heads from the label, from EMI, from Virgin, mm-hmm. from Capital, and they're all prefaced with former so-and-so of Capital Music because they laid off, like, a thousand people. So these yeah. are all people mm-hmm. that, like, used to work for the label. So they're like, I don't give a shit. Like, I'll talk shit. They, they fired me. I'll talk shit on this yeah, label. Yeah, like, the and former yeah. COO was in this. It was, yeah. yeah. Which which does end lend a impressive air of credibility to the documentary. Yes, it, it's it's just it, it cannot be said enough that this documentary would be so much more interesting if it was not about thirty seconds to Mars. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Molly, before we move on from Guy Hands and the setup of, of this, you know, British finance capital guy purchasing EMI and gutting it from the inside out and fucking over all these labels, uh, what, what what is your favorite uh, fact about uh, Guy Hands? Oh, well, uh, the, apparently the way he made his money was that he bought all of the gas stations in Northern Europe on the, like off the highways in Northern Europe and he cleaned the bathroom. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that guy was so and, good. And, and like, uh, question mark, question mark, question mark, made a bunch of money. Yeah. And as we were watching this, you know, the, one of the the former EMI guys were talking. It was was giving this fact like, so let me tell you about Guy Hands. <laughs> the way he made it, and then told this bathroom story, and Molly and I were both sitting there being like, that that is like the nicest way that That's I've ever good. heard of a finance guy making yeah. his, like, first portion. <laughs> 
That's the mo- that's the closest benefit to the people that I've ever heard a yeah, billionaire exactly. yeah. do to create his wo- to have his wealth created for him. Let me tell I'm you, I'm sure about this. it was nefarious. Yeah, in, yeah. At the end of the day, I, but I, I, I'm like, yeah. hell yeah, I'm driving in a you know uh, the yeah. Netherlands or whatever the fuck, yeah. and yeah. I I have to take a piss and. The, the gas station I pick, bathroom is spotless. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby, yeah. I'm, go, I'm coming I'm back. I'm going to buy a candy bar. I'm coming <laughs> back to these these hands bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, the uh, you know, uh, the least nefarious way that I've ever heard of a finance guy, guy His making. His name is Guy Hands. I see. Yeah. Guy Hands. Guy Hands. But um, also, the nefarious you know, guy hands. The nefarious, <laughs> the, noto- the notorious guy hands. Well, the, the but he. So yeah, like he he his firm buys EMI, which it, it should be clarified. EMI started the lawsuit before they yes. got acquired, and then mm-hmm. they, they got acquired by Terra for Firma, whatever the fuck it was. Terra Firma, yes. To, so the lawsuit was already started. They continued the lawsuit. Yeah, they, yeah. If anything, they just made the situation. It's like they just put more fire on the situation. Right, you know, right. Whereas something they could have probably worked out to like a peaceful settlement or something like that, they kind of made it uh, such an affair. Right. Which, my, which my, way they were being, they were being sued for thirty million dollars. Thirty million dollars, yes. which is a, an absurd amount for any band to expect to have. Yeah. Even Jared Leto, who I assume has a quite a purse stored away from his, uh, his various film and TV appearances. Although maybe not. It didn't really show his lifestyle. No, it did not. No. That's what the thing. With and thus, no lifestyle. indication of his death style. Of course not. <laughs> That's the thing is that Jared Leto. The more you try to like find out what his deal is and like who is this guy, what does mm-hmm. he believe in, the more you look, just it's empty. There's nothing. The, it you shows go crazy you, yeah. trying to figure out something about. You this see guy. so yes. much Leto in this, but you learn so little and you care so little by the end about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What is happening yes. with Jared Leto and his fucking album? So my, my my sense of having watched this documentary is that uh, whatever legal representation they had when they were giving that, basically giving submitting their pink slip to EMI before they got bought out, was that maybe it was like possibly like standard record store or record store record industry business big dicking of being like here's what you want to do if you want a better deal on your next record you've done two they've been hits you still owe a little money on this deal what we're going to do is say that you quit they'll come back with more pay what you owe you cancel out your debts and then we'll move on to the third album like that's what i imagine in the standard like what their representation was but probably. they don't say we have they, no that's, way that's the other weird <laughs> thing is that this this movie does not depict like the beginning of their departure from the contract which is what triggers the lawsuit yeah exactly exactly they they totally yada yada like we were doing the totally normal thing of unilaterally quitting a contract that we we had signed and then i assume that if emi had been handled like it was by all the good old boys who the lawyers had worked with forever that the expectation is like they would have figured don't do that oh no you can't leave okay fine we'll we'll clear out your debts and you'll make a little more in the next album or whatever right and then the twist is that these finance guys come in and be like, fuck off. Uh, you we, you are a asset that we own and we will get every cent from you or you will get, pay it back in triplicate or, you know, something, something like that. Guy, guy hands came in to EMI and they saw 30 seconds to Mars and they said, that's a bathroom yeah. in a Northern European <laughs> gas station that needs to be cleaned right up. And we are yeah. the ones to do it. Which yes. it is, which is, it's funny. Cause again, they were uh, fairly big money makers for the label. Like the last mm-hmm. album did pretty well. I'm not sure how much truth is, but basically it was like 
the way that they stated in the documentary is that like basically in terms of the size of bands on the label at that point, it was mm-hmm. like Coldplay, 30 seconds to Mars. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Like that's that's not that's not nothing. So that is like the first 10 minutes of the documentary and that is the setup <laughs> and at that point at this point i'm like you know what this is a little jilt like stilted or whatever but you know there's the nug of an interesting story here yes and then you know this is the point where it is important to understand that not only is this documentary about 30 seconds to mars in this context but it is directed by jared leto because at this point, it takes the first of a series of right turns into 30 Seconds to Mars's personal life that this will continue doing uh, to the point of being like, what I like, I don't care who your mom is. This is a, isn't this a story about record industries, Jeramo? Like, yeah. why? Oh my God. Are we, oh. Why are we doing a per, and then veers into a like personal profile of, I believe uh, Jared himself goes first and, and does like the typical schmaltzy from, from a young age. I always knew that the music was the thing that was the poetry of my soul. Yes. And that I, you, I, I, the expression of the needs of the every man to connect with the universe that comes through with the craft of being a musical art. And, and like, goes, it starts going into their family yeah. background, which is also genuinely interesting, but is presented at only like Hallmark movie level. You know? Yeah. I, we should we should state that the, the the first thing this documentary it does the first shitty documentary cliche being like when we first started shooting this documentary it was about one thing but it turned <laughs> out to be about a different thing <laughs> yes basically it feels like this movie in some ways is trying to steal the swag of some kind of monster but Jared yes. Leto like refuses to open himself up he can't the be way vulnerable yes. he, he but can't. that that is yeah. the point it, there is no second point in the documentary it is all Leto he is the one directing it and, and I think the most egregious thing from a filmmaker ethics perspective of it is that so Jared Leto's on camera he's being filmed he does voice of God voiceover to yes. like set up and establish basic facts about it and then I think the thing that's most egregious is that during the talking heads sequences where they have the EMI executives Music experts, Sir Serge Tanky and Chester Bennington, uh, Brandon the guy Boyd, from OK Go, yeah, the guy from OK Go, all interviewed in the these like Talking Heads setups as interviewed as experts. In addition to all those, Leto is there also in the same <laughs> setup as interviewed, implying that he is also an impartial expert on the the subject matter that the documentary is covering. Even though you, one must imagine that in every other of the Talking Head interviews, it is Leto sitting behind the ca- camera asking questions. And in the exactly cut Leto interviews, it is him just making bullshit up to a camera by himself and, and editing that in. And so, you know, yeah, with some kind of monster, you have a documentary crew there. You have actual filmmakers with perspective who were hired and brought on because Metallica liked their work with another project and yes. brought on... To because at least at some point they liked and trusted the perspective. But you know, there are moments in this movie that are like Leto in a corner looking vulnerable or nervous about something happening. Yes. While or he's playing like, a piano. Playing piano, oh, wearing a, like wearing pajamas or something where you have to imagine the moment before that in which he turned to whoever his DP, uh, like documentary DP person was and was like, all right, 
now I'm going to do this thing where I look anxious in a corner and you put the camera here and I'm going to go over there and do that and look that way. And then that will bridge this moment from here previously in the documentary to there. And it's like, once you grok that part of how this documentary was made, any part of it that is interesting or compelling from a character standpoint, just evaporates into air. There's, yeah, there's this one scene in particular that's very infuriating to me uh, where uh, Jared Leto is smoking a cigarette and doing like a detective voice and just cracking the room up. Oh my and it's, God. Oh, yes. And it, he's just like, oh, she's a dame and she's hung like a horse and everyone's laughing. Like it's the, the funniest thing they've ever heard. And I'm like, dude, you just said Shannon Tomo, get in here and laugh or else, you know? It's, yes. hundred percent. It's, it's infuriating. Or else you won't get your allowance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it, it has no, it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It is like completely tonally. Like the rest of it is basically, again, Jared Leto on the phone with a lawyer or a business guy, uh, getting upset or just him like in the studio doing a hundred takes of a very simple acoustic guitar part and the, the <laughs> fact that they put this thing of being like I bet he watched Final Cut maybe and was like there's not enough like I, I need to seem like a more fun guy like how do we do this and then just like shot this thing. yeah exactly yeah. there's no way to trust anything that happens in this documentary that's an unreliable narrator to 30 seconds to Mars because you're Getting it through the main guy's perspective. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. it is like, it, it's in, it, insanely disingenuous for a documentary. Two things, two things. The first thing is that like, you learn nothing about Jared. You learn nothing about his creative process. Like, why does he make music? What is this music about? It's, there's mm-hmm. nothing. It's just like behind the scenes of them, like, you know, making the record, just like them yeah. doing takes, which a big thing with this, this the, a, a continuing thing with a few continuing threads that doesn't get just like immediately dropped is him trying to do Kings and Queens. Like oh my God. multiple times he's trying to do Kings and Queens. It just he can't get it right. And by yeah. the end, he gets it right. And then the second thing is that during, uh, to go back a little bit, during the whole segment about their, like, him and Shannon's childhood, there's yeah. a photo, I believe, of Shannon <laughs> where he has, he has just a shirt that just says drums while he's playing the drums. Yes. That, that yeah. rocks. I was very into that. Mm-hmm. that. That's honestly maybe one of the most genuine moments of the, uh, of the documentary. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would love to be photographed. Uh, in a non-stage photo, wearing a shirt that just says the instrument I'm playing while I'm playing it to just show how much I love the thing. Yeah. Oh god. There's also the same, where they buy a fucking Christmas tree. Like, oh my! They just buy a, they buy a under shitty, the tree. They buy oh. a and then he Christmas tries tree. to stiff the Christmas tree man about the tree because he says he. It's like a sequence where they're like, "We're going to buy a Christmas tree. Yes. We feel like because we're feeling sad, we should buy the saddest tree on the lot." And they go find the saddest tree on the lot, and then the Christmas tree guy is like, "Yeah, that tree's thirty, like thirty, forty dollars, twenty dollars, twenty dollars." And they're like, "Look how sad this tree is. It can't be worth more than ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I need I need to go off on this tree for a second. I was I was was super super peeved about this is that you know he's trying to quibble about an evergreen tree no matter how misshapen in Los Angeles I'm like motherfucker you just 20 minutes ago it's lamented how tough it is that you know oh I I put a year plus into this album and then people buy it for like five dollars or they steal it or whatever and then I'm like do you know how long it took that tree to grow (laughs) (laughs) and you're saying oh this is only worth twenty dollars I'm like this I I don't know how long I don't actually know how long it takes for a Christmas tree to grow I assume it takes like several years plus couple of years so like fuck you man like you can't spot you can't do lay down an Andrew Jackson for this tree (laughs) 
Like I don't, every, every, everything that I thought you million. believed, I just don't. I don't. I don't even believe it anymore. Um, I feel like we should get into the piracy angle of this in a second. Oh, oh yeah. But yeah, just to go back to to uh, Maddie, what you were saying is like the the. So, so like I guess I guess one of the I don't know seven main threads of this is them trying to create the <laughs> album. But you're right that there is absolutely no. Uh, peer into any kind of like emotional or intellectual motivation for making the album. So as like the 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 main thread that it hinges about part or upon is their obligations to uh EMI, right? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile they're making this album which is theoretically a labor of love, but they're making it in at least the way that it is depicted in the movie with the same sense of like uh robotic obligation as if Jared Leto himself was another record label demanding an album from it. And, mm. yeah. you know, several times I had to think, again, while I'm trying to think about the creation of this documentary and album as, as a whole, like, literally everyone in the room, from Flood to his brother to the cameraman, is, like, theoretically at that moment on Jared Leto's payroll. Yes. In mm-hmm. so, in, like, the, the way that the new uh-huh. album is getting finance is never discussed. And and so one simply must conclude that that is the way that it is happening, and it is weird, especially mm-hmm. in some moments where you know they're trying to portray the Leto brothers as having this good relationship, but there are some like pointed moments that seem purposely put in about like Jared uh, and Shannon, like Shannon not having the same working style, and Jared being like, "Hey, do it better," and Shannon being like, "Yeah, it it takes me some time," and Jared being like, "Well, I can't work with you if you need to." You know, it, it's it's mm-hmm. very strange. I have so many questions about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just like, so from from what Shannon talks about, basically, and, and by the way, Shannon is also he's uh, he's he's the older brother here. He's mm-hmm. he is, mm. I believe, he is fifty or fifty one at this point. Okay, uh, and Jerry Little, by the way, will turn fifty at the end of this year, which is so they're like late thirties, and Shannon might be like early forties at this point. It, yeah, yeah, like yeah. thirteen, fourteen years ago, something. Yeah, like that. and of course they they both started the band like both when they were like in their thirties, as mm-hmm. it seemed like Shannon was someone who was kind of working dead-end jobs, into drugs, and Jared saved him from from drug addiction, you know, mm-hmm. helped him rise up, rise above, and sort of like, hey, we both have this passion for music. You know, I kind of have some money from this acting thing. Let's let's do this band. Let's do this thing we've always wanted to do for, for so long. And so they start the band, I think, in like 98, and, you know, they put out their first record in 2002. And the first record, not a smashing success, but it's enough where, like, you know, labels are paying attention, yeah. wanting to sign them. You know, there's mm-hmm. potential there. And obviously, Jared Starr is rising as an actor. Because at this point, he's already done American Psycho and Fight Club and Panic Room. And so-called and, and so and so-called and Life. Life. Of course, that's his breakthrough role. Which, by the way, Shannon was on that show at one point, I think. Ah. As and a very minor character compared to Jared, but it is a cameo in there. Uh, it, and it is. I think it would be important to note that Shannon does do a kind of uh, as he's explaining his life in the Leto family. He he does do a bit of the uh, the I was sh- I, I was a piece of shit. I was a I was a dirtbag. You yeah. know, like <laughs> thing about you know uh, recounting his life. Uh, and yeah, he he at least later Jared gets him to say like if it was not for Jared and the band, I would be you know nothing. Basically, because you know, he used to be a piece of shit. You know, you know, uh, I, I have to wonder, does she? You know, 
I, I don't know if the baby thinks people can change. I don't know if the baby thinks Shannon can change. <laughs> Shannon can <laughs> change. No, those Shannon little change. boys ain't changing. Uh, but yeah, no, this... So it's this weird kind of... I don't want to say parasitic relationship that Shannon has with Jared, but it's definitely like there's weird vibes going on here. Shannon, sure. Shannon comes off yeah. as a... Has, here's the thing. When you're in a documentary with Jared Leto and Jared kind of comes off as more of the normal one here, there's <laughs> something very wrong happening. But I will say he's for got, Shannon... He's got haunted eyes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I will say for Shannon, though, Shannon is a genuinely talented drummer. He's, he's a very good. he's a very good drummer. I mean, uh, yep. there's there's a little bit of the documentary where he was, like, learning some, like, random, uh, like, uh, kind of ancient sort of, uh, like... Foreign technique for drumming for like a specific song. Taiko, Taiko, drumming. Taiko, Taiko drumming. Yes. So he was like, he's someone who was like genuinely dedicated to his craft and really sure. wants to expand his outreach. And you know, that was Jared. We, we, yeah, the it, it's the most that was, insight. That was we Jared get. saying, "I'll buy, I'll buy your weird drum and let it be in the fucking documentary, Shannon. <laughs> as long as you uh, it, it, say it's nice pro- shit about me. <laughs> it, it's probably the only insight we get into like." the the actual music itself in terms of like what do they make music for like what are their inspirations it's the closest this documentary yeah. gets because otherwise yeah. it's just behind the scenes stuff of them just doing takes for the songs like, yes right. exactly it's, yes. it's so boring it's, it's so just, fucking boring the only time just, they talk with flood is about their legal issues about the lawsuit yes, yes. and the the whole thing like they set this entire movie up being like this this uh this documentary is about the creation of This Is War, which is about like you know like our contentious relationship with our record label. But then like you hear the songs and it's always like she kills me, and I'm like mm-hmm. I don't think this is about the record label. I think this is just whatever like Jared is thinking about that day. The Thirty Seconds to Mars lyrics are a nonstop pr- parade of cliches to oh o- an almost impressive degree. Yeah, uh, no, you know, it's, it's like it's, every every it. line is like I was born with the disease <laughs> on the edge of night. The with age, enough, yeah, the age of man is the age over. Man is over. It's so, over. Yeah, no, I, I I love that shit. It's so it's so dramatic. Jared Jared's life is so important, and this yeah. movie is just telling us the scene where they come up with. Well, I I. It's a lie. The scene where they come up with the album title "This Is War" mm-hmm. that definitely was not eighty yard later, where they're uh-huh. atop the mountain throwing rocks and screaming at the top of their lungs, uh, is yeah. maybe. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, 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 oh my God. Yeah. yeah that, that's so great. So they yeah. go up to the top of of some place in the Hollywood Hills that doesn't look that uh, deserted. No. Uh, yeah. At, you at, can like see the height. <laughs> but but again, you can't rely on any of this because it's theoretically supposed to be at the height of their difficulties with EMI but because Jared directs it and commands everyone around him there is no telling what in this documentary was captured at the time or just put in later yes. so they just like go out at night uh, go up to this the mountain on uh, this precipice on the Hollywood Hills they all pick up rocks and they say this is something we do all the time we come up <laughs> here when we have emotions and we pick up a rock. It could be small if it's a small emotion or a boulder if it's a big emotion. Uh, and then we put the emotion, you know, you think about the emotion, put it in the rock, and then you scream as you throw it off, which honestly sounds like a good ritual to me. I, I, I get that as like an uh, emotional catharsis. On the Hollywood Hills, maybe not. There are a lot of expensive houses and very rich people around there. I wouldn't be throwing rocks off of it. Mm-hmm. So they do that. And they do this whole sequence, and then at the end of it, as a cap, like as dawn is peeking over the hills, Jared turns to Shannon and goes, "I know the name of the album. <laughs> this is war." 
Yeah. Ugh. It's it's so good. War is yelling on the phone with Irving Azoff for yes. uh, probably thirty minutes. It's it's uh, what a great war this was. Rest so oh, peace, yeah, su- super epic. <laughs> I mean, we we've basically covered like the middle like eighty percent of this movie. Should, should we go back to like what is going on on the business side a little bit, Molly? Yeah. Do you remember like w- what the business developments are? I mean, honestly, n- not really. Other than like after EMI gets purchased by this like uh it's not a hedge fund it's just sort of looking at an investment capital group yeah it's yeah. it's like what uh mitt romney did like bang, bang sure. capital. so then they you know the the emi talking heads in the movie are very much like they thought that they could just you know oh well these guys don't know what they're doing we like we're uh, expert business mindset guys like we can <laughs> turn it around and then like you know within a year especially when the rest of the the financial world already collapsed they couldn't fix it quickly which is exactly what investors want things to do is like you want return like that that's the the hugest joke of getting anything venture backed is like hell yeah we totally believe in you so we'll be profitable in like 18 months right and then you're not and everything falls apart so that's exactly what happened to terra firma um and yeah that and i guess that's the reason why all the emi got like they they had a huge layoffs which i i assume results in all the talking heads from EMI yeah. being available <laughs> yes, absolutely. to be in the movie which again another directorial fail from bartholomew cubbins is like i would have liked to see jared leto at the same table with the emi guys oh who were God. the ones who originally started the lawsuit and instead you just have them kind of there as these sort of you know experts but not and i'm like i would rather see an interaction between these guys because now you're on the same side which is that the financialization of the music industry sucks great hell yeah like but you obviously had some differences before can we figure this out but again not a not an avenue that jared is willing to explore but yeah it's it and then so terra firma then sells it to a different investment company this is when i started to lose the thread because again 80 <laughs> percent of this movie is your little on the phone yes so but I, and then i would say like towards the back two-thirds of this is when you get a glimpse of what could be a good documentary like around when their negotiations like they seem to be getting somewhere there for a second and then at every single time that any like like jared depicts his lawyer's that are representing him is like real hard dick players who are always yeah. like fucking around, like like really putting putting the balls on the table and letting EMI know what's up. Uh, and then EMI it seems to be constantly coming back, being like, "Oh yeah, we're almost there," and then like cutting out the deal, whatever, whatever. About two thirds yeah. through this movie, you get another glimpse of of what is actually interesting from this, which is Leto trying to build solidarity. It's depicted as a way to build solidarity for 30 Seconds to Mars by putting all these headlines of all these major acts who are in financial difficulties with EMI. Uh, You know, Paul McCartney, The Beatles, Rage Against the Machine. uh, Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. Uh, Who else was was listed in that? There were were like, uh, you know. I mentioned Coldplay earlier. Coldplay was. Coldplay, Coldplay. And, And bringing all those people around uh the way it's predicted or, or per, portrayed in the movie is like you know see we're right way but what's yeah. interesting is like you know 30 seconds of mars is just one of all these artists who are in a breakdown of their contractual relationship with their the way that music is being put out at this time and 
EMI is breaking apart at the seams in its ability to actually effectively manage these major artists and their distribution model in the wake of the financial collapse under the hand of this, like, uh, you know, non the hands the under the hands under the hand of hands um (laughs) you know like there is something interesting there of like Mm -hmm. an industry like completely disintegrating uh at a specific moment with all these major players there and then it cuts back to fucking leto being mad because they have rights over the music that might be used in the documentary that he is directing yes about his own album and, and like plunking away at a piano being like if i play this i can't use it if i if i play this song here emi oh look i just played a song at piano and emi owns it and i'm like you are the least interesting cog in this entire thing i'm sorry yeah. Yeah, I was I was not kidding when I said like the 30 seconds that the OK Go guy is on screen is better than any moment that Jared Leto is on. Like that guy. Yeah. Like because he was like he couldn't talk, which was, you know, a bummer. Yeah, but he, he, like, he had yeah. just like resolved his issue with EMI and literally yeah. has to be like, were we lied to by EMI? The conditions yeah, he, of our he legit, say, I cannot he say that. EMI I don't want to get sued for 30 million dollars. Yeah. Like, I believe what he said. I yeah. mean, that, that's the other thing is then they start bringing in this idea of like, what is the alternative model to this like big label thing? Metric. Which, again, there, there is also, there, there's a section which is very like Freakonomics-y where he basically explains yes. like, all the different ways that you get skimmed, the artist gets skimmed. Uh, it's probably the best part scared. of the documentary, I would yeah, say. It is. It's, yeah. it's the most genuinely informative thing that's in the entire it's documentary. Di- it's like a different documentary. Like it is a documentary about like the complete b- uh, bullshit of signing to a label, and then you create a product that like you barely make any money off of, and in fact sometimes go into debt to because, mm-hmm. for example, you are um, paying fees for a uh, physical media on yeah, digital breakage media and all that, like breakage yeah. of CD cases, which that is. Interesting to me. I actually wasn't aware of that. I yeah. didn't know that that was a part a part of contracts was the idea of free CDs or broken CDs when you are selling fucking MP3s off of the iTunes Music Store. But at the same time, I, I hear all this and I'm like, oh, Jared Leto is telling me this right now. So right. I just, I just, I just, I just tune it out. I'm like, I don't believe yeah. you. Well, yeah, it, yeah. It is. He, it, it's because it is the from the perspective of a person who is already successful in another medium who feels personally aggrieved by it. Like there, yes, to give the, a maximally generous offer to Jared Leto's creativity. If Jared Leto was going through this experience with his 30 seconds to Mars album and was like, Hey, this is fucked up. I have the resources and connections I would like to make. And you know what? Fuck it. I think enough of myself direct a documentary about this, but I'm yeah. going to make a documentary about other people yes. dealing with this thing. And maybe like reference that, my, just to be clear, my band 30 Seconds to Mars, who you may have heard of, we have some good songs, is also dealing with this right now. But it's really about these other people who are doing, going through the same thing as us. Like, he might have been able to pull off a good, affecting documentary about the state of the music industry in 2009. Like, he might have, but... He, his fatal flaw is in the end the thing that he really wanted to make a documentary about is himself and how great yes. and cool he is yeah there's a lot of sucking off of Jared throughout the documentary <laughs> yeah uh, it's it, it's it's frustrating because again you get all these like these talking heads who have like I want to hear the talking heads the story about the music like I want to hear about Brandon Boyd and Incubus 
He's, yeah. He just like casually mentions, we had to sue our label to get paid. I'm like, I want to hear more about that. What the fuck yeah. happened there? Totally. Uh, Linkin Park. Like that is like Linkin Park is like one of the biggest bands ever. Like one of the only bands that is like can be like, yeah, no, we went, we basically went like double diamond. You know, yeah, Meteora sold like 20 million copies or some shit like that. I might yeah, it's like I want, but I want to hear about their troubles with their label being like, hey, this yeah. is a band that like sold a bunch of fucking records that actually has like some true way to claim of like, hey, like we should be being paid way more for our records when we made this much money for you. You know, there's so many mm-hmm. things where I want to hear more about. Sir, uh, yeah, fucking he was search. able to bring the EMI producers to the table to do the documentary along with the artists at the same like that is actually interesting and two perspectives that you would like to hear cut back and forth to each other the people mm-hmm. who made the deals the people who got fucked over the deals both complaining about a third party who made who fucked everything up in a universal sense you know yes mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a documentary that's uh it, it, it's just you try to learn something, you try to get something. But again, before, like, again, as we were talking about with the segment about the economics, about like, hey, like, this is how, like, the actual money. Before yeah. you even go, like, oh, hey, like, I want to hear more about this. It cuts to fucking Jared and the band trying to fucking play a song. It's, yeah. It's frustrating. Who, There's, oh, God. Uh, what were you going to say, Chris? I'll, I'll uh, who, brought, who brought up the, the, or offhandedly mentioned the several segments in it of uh, fans randomly approaching Jared? That was oh, Gavin. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one of can, them can you can you talk about what those segments are actually like? Well, the, there's there's a, several. One is on the beach, which is J- Jared. Just like I don't know why he included this because he does not want to talk to these people, and he yes. does not That's he does not I, hide it. The, the people on the beach come up, and they legitimately thirty seconds to Mars fans. They like Jared's music, and. They say, are you Jared? And he just stands there with his like hands in his hoodie pocket. And he's like, like looking blankly into the yeah. middle distance. And they, hu- they hug him and he literally doesn't hug back. Which, yeah, like, he listen, stands- I'm sure if you're a famous person and you, you don't want to be manhandled, but like it is honestly inc- uncomfortable to watch him just like stand there his with their arms around him. Yes, his documentary. Yeah. He can't even he pretend. Direct, he, th- that's why those moments are so amazing. Again, that he is d- directing it. Like if somebody yeah. else was directing it and saw this interaction, it might be like a genuinely interesting thing of like, oh, he's uncomfortable with this, or like he doesn't want to be in this kind of public perspective right now. But it's like he's choosing to put it in to try to show that he is uncomfortable with it. But if he was actually uncomfortable with it, it just wouldn't be in the documentary because he. Is direct. It's like it, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's it's right. we, should, we should mention that he's on the beach and he just like basically the ba- it's like around oh the holidays. The band all wants yeah. to go on vacation. Uh, he's like, I'm just gonna go to Florida, and he goes to Florida, goes to the beach, gets recognized by fans, and it's like, ah, oh, there's paparazzi everywhere. There's too much stuff going on. I'm gonna go fucking gator boating. Gets on a fucking <laughs> yeah. Goes to the swamps and gets on one of those like uh one of the, one of those kinds of boats. The fan boats, sw- yeah, yeah. The fan, fan boats, boats in the swamp. Yeah. And just just riding around the fan boat in the swamp, I having think, a really great time. I legitimately <laughs> think this happens in an episode of Evil of Bam, where Bam gets <laughs> noticed by a paparazzi, and then he has to go on a fan boat in Florida. Uh, the the most embarrassing one to me is in New York, where mm-hmm. a person comes up and says, "I know you from that movie," and he goes, "Uh huh." And uh, she's like the one with the crazy guy who, who and the mom, and he's like, uh huh. And then she's like, oh my god, that's my favorite movie ever. And he just stands there and just, yeah. Like, eventually, he they ask him, they're and, like, it's like, it's like, oh, I know you're like a famous guy, right? And he's like, yes, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's so weird. It's so mm-hmm. off putting. It, also, that's it's the like, only it's acknowledgement like of humble. him as an actor. It's yeah, like, it's like yeah. he's like, oh, god, like look at me, I'm humble. I, 
I don't want people. I don't want people like, yeah, I'm Jared Leto. It's like, no, dude, this makes you look worse. This makes you look yeah. like the opposite of humble. And, it, it, and you can tell it because it's not even like he's not even like looking them in the eyes and like sincerely yeah. engaging. And if when somebody comes up and being like, you know, there's a version of that that's like, oh my god, are you that famous guy? And he's like. I mean, I don't know. You might have seen me in some things. like, But yeah. actually talking to the person and being like, are you in that movie with that crazy girl who does all this stuff? And you're like, yeah, you pro- you're probably you probably talking about Requiem for a Dream. I'm glad you enjoy that. You know, there's a way to do that, yeah. that uh, thing that's not just like freezing, staring blankly. And then as the documentary crew that you are directing and paying for following you around films you as a, a very enthusiastic woman holds you like a stiff board. Which, again, you are in Miami Beach and New York City, and you are Jared Leto, and you are not wearing a disguise. What did you think was... And you were followed around by a camera crew. Yes, he's standing on the beach drawing a huge, shitty, big design in the sand with a camera crew (laughs) filming him. Begging that's, that's for honestly, one, yeah, yeah person. We're we're, th- we're thinking about the like we're trying to figure out it, who is Jared. Like, what are his creative motivations? And like, the closest it comes to describing them is like showing him drawing these like strange, childlike, abstract monster blobs. Yes, like that, and being like, I'm a very artistic person. Uh, I've, I've <laughs> mentioned this guy many times on the. I see this is war pulled up as you talk about uh, Jared's uh, creative aspirations. I just wanted to read uh, like a, a, a verse bridge verse or verse bridge chorus of a um, 30 seconds to Mars song. So you can yes. hear the, the, the kind of lyrical depth of this. And this is the song. This is war. Um, so here we go. To the right, to the left, we'll fight to the death, to the edge of the earth, a brave new world from the last to the first. I do. I do believe in the light. Raise your hands to the sky. The fight is done. The war is won. Lift your hands toward the sun, towards the sun, towards the sun. The war is won. I feel it. Yeah, that was powerful. Yeah, totally. Uh, we should uh, a big eye emoji moment during this documentary is that also he goes on vacation to New York. Goes to New York, wants to see some friends. Who is that friend? Oh, of yep. <laughs> Canceled photographer. Terry oh, yeah. Richardson. Terry Richardson. Yep. That is so fucking funny. That was so fucking mm-hmm. the one person outside that was like. I just needed some time to hang out with my people. And he does a photo shoot with Terry Richardson. Mm-hmm. The, the one caveat I will give is that the, w- this movie was 2012, 2013. But, Terry, from, but filmed in 7, 8. Yeah. yeah. Well, Be- Beyonce had Terry Richardson direct a video for her in 2013. He he had a, a long reign of like basically not being questioned at all. Mm-hmm. But seeing it in retrospect, I am like, oh man, this is <laughs> Jer- your guy. This is your Jared's guy. one friend. <laughs> <laughs> Jared's one friend in New York City is Terry Richardson. Mm-hmm. Not oh. even Tomo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god, which the way that Tomo so Tomo uh, there's a point in this I remember Tomo described how he got into the band which i believe he got in the band after they had put out their first record already and basically there was an audition he was basically like you know i was you know getting ready to sell all my music gear and just ready to quit quit the music life and then i got this you know this opportunity to audition for 30 seconds to mars and i came in all cocky and stuff <laughs> and, and then he got in the band it's like uh, what was the point of the story why is this in the documentary i'll, I'll play i'll play a little bit of uh Kings and Queens, the one, the 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 the, the song Let's that this go. album hinges upon, seemingly. Let's get it. 
Presumably, uh, which, 30 Seconds to Mars has a bassist and a keyboardist, uh, as Monty Python would Well, say, they did uh, have a bassist. They did have a bassist. not appearing in this film. <laughs> uh, I think at this point, they were, they were a three-piece, and they just you know had touring members and whatnot. They did have a yeah. bassist around the time of A Beautiful Lie, but I think he left the band pretty shortly after that record came out, or like Wonder in like 06, 07. Wonder why. Uh, but let's <laughs> let's listen to a little bit of, of Kings and, and Queens, which, by the way, this, I believe this is the one with the eagle screech. Hell yeah! There we go. Boom! Uh, yeah. Hear that again? There's the eagle screech, and it's just seconds of silence. Which, by the way, this is number one on radio. I assume there's probably some radio edit. This out song there. is almost six minutes long. All these yes. songs are so fucking long. There are two songs over six minutes on this album. Uh, there are at three others that are above 5:30. Four others that are ab- five others that are above 5:30. Yeah, it's brutal. This this is this is a brutal. At least after this, the albums are. It's like the next one's like 44 minutes, 42 yeah. minutes. The one after that. Oh, got it. Look at those those just just the oh hands in the air immediately. Yeah, I do want to say I did put this as my number one song of the car commercial number <laughs> ones overall. I still cannot fucking what believe. What were the other options? Every other song that went number one with Gautier, somebody that I used to know. Fun. in the tantrums out of my league beats this. Come this on. is my number one because this is the funniest song of all time, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> I'm pulling up the lyrics right now because I actually never really listened. I haven't done a close read of this. This is It's about church. Kevin James. Yes. I mean, I do. I, I I do pull through from the flood, the flood production. My my read on this whole album is, uh, U2 by way of the Killers. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think that's a that's a fair, that's a pretty fair read. Um, but with any interesting edges sanded off of it. I think I'm being Stockholm into liking this song, finally. Gavin's yeah, plan is worse after almost a year of me just not getting it. Um, I, I think the a very important fact that I feel like I, I, I... A realization, I should say, that I came to after I finished uh, the most recent 30 Seconds to Mars record, America, is that basically the thing to understand is that 30, like 30 Seconds to Mars... It is. They are a Christian rock band, but instead of worshiping God, they worship Jesus, Jared Leto. Jared they worship Jared Leto. It's about that worshiping so Jared right. Leto. That is We're so right. We're two and a half minutes into the song. We have heard one chorus. <laughs> Bob Pollard is furious somewhere in America. <laughs> does not know why. Uh, uh, I Jared loves. He has like a good question mark voice, but it's, he just. He's yeah, so, I, I would say so it's, it's, he's very a very competent singer. Yeah, he, he's just he can't not sound like he's in pain at least for like eighty five percent of a song. But I, he's also trying to. He wants you to believe that he is in pain. Here, yeah. Here's the thing that I will say about his singing: a super cowardly move, in my opinion. If you are making a documentary about the making of an album, show the raw takes of you in the vocal the ra- booth yes, without yes. the finished mix. And yes. if you can't do that, I'm calling bullshit on all of your on all of your shit, man. They showed yeah. only like fully mixed songs, but with you, him in the booth. You have mm-hmm. to have that scene where he's singing it raw and finishes the song yes. and takes yes. a pause yes. with his eyes closed and then looks up at the producing bo- booth and goes, 
I think that was good. That's the take. Oh, that is that is literally that's music making documentary 101. The song should be over right now, by the way. It's three and a half minutes long, and now there's like another bridge. It's never over. The age over. of man is over. It's, it's the never man, over. The age of man is over. Um, and another so, important thing to remember with Jared Leto yeah. is that I, the reason why this music just... I, I, Jared Leto is not being emotional. He is performing emotion. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. He's an actor. He's an actor. He's an yes. actor. That is maybe one of the things about actors who start bands is because they... Like, because they are actors, they think they can act as a singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say that music is like music frontmanship is a kind of performance that's on par as acting. But I'm sorry, the best music frontmen and singers are performing the role of singer. They are not acting as singers. They are not inhabiting a role of mm-hmm. a singer. You know, and I think yeah. there's a categorical difference there. And I think yeah. it. it Really affects mindset uh, in, in in a very real way. You know, there's a, a, a second layer there. You are an actor performing a singer who's then doing the job of singing. Yeah, he's he leans more on the Jeremy Renner uh, scale, I would mm. say. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, I I just don't think he's capable of understanding what a normal human would think about. So he just he looks up like cliches and whatever yes. fucking fantasy book he's reading right now. Uh, they are an amazing imitation of a band. Oh, yes. Children's Choir. There's a Children's Choir. Oh yes, you gotta have it. Straight to movie trailer. Yeah. So I just want to call out. I don't need to read through all the lyrics to Kings and Queens, but there are several like kind of mixed metaphors in here, including sort of a a medieval knight thing about like a dragon. <laughs> But then also chess. Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there are knights in chess. I mean, that, there's there a little, there. Yeah, there's, ki- there's kings and queens in chess as well. But then also sort of a feminist thing. It says to all the queens who are fighting alone, baby, you're not dancing on your own. Like there, there's just so many things going on in the song, and it, this song is not actually about any. I would, I will Venmo three dollars to whoever tells me what this song is about. Is that about the fact that the age of man is over? I think that's a different Give me my three dollars now. (laughs) Maddie, I will Venmo you three dollars. But what does it all mean? What does it mean for Jared Leto? He's a man. So is he he okay? Does he need someone to check? We know Jared Leto is not okay. (laughs) I don't know why you ask that. There should be one of those single-use URLs that just says, is Jared Leto okay.com? And you just go and it says no. Which, by the way, on the account. deluxe edition of This Is War, there is a Kings and Queen version, Kings and Queens, L.A. Riot's main vocal mix. What does that mean? It's also like a, like 30 seconds LA longer. I, well, you cannot put that on. It's too long. Uh, I'm not it putting is an no isolated words. vocal The track. L.A. Riot's, of course, re- re- references the time that um, Jared Leto dared take a stand and <laughs> you know started a revolution when he pulled out of his contract with EMI. Of course. So that's, that is the, the, the biggest L.A. Riot of them all. I'm, is I'm the disobedience of 30 Seconds to Mars. I'm wondering if L.A. Riot's is a uh, producer. <laughs> it, it better be. I fear if it wasn't. Interesting name for a producer. Also, uh, I just, Maddie, you're you're driving right now on this uh, screen share that we're doing on this recording. Mm -hmm. 
I, you, you just showed me something that I was not aware of because I was freaking out earlier to Chris being like, they only have the deluxe version of This Is War on Spotify. What the fuck? Oh yeah, there's, there's, a, there's six different releases. You just, you just pointed out the easy way on Spotify to toggle between releases and thank you for that. <laughs> How because fucked I was up like, is it that the deluxe yeah. is the default? <laughs> it was the default and I, at least most artists that I'm aware of like you have your deluxe and you have your regular and they're both available in your Spotify mm-hmm. library so I felt I was feeling uh, ga- gaslit and, and gatecab from the regular version okay. alright so I think we've, we've kind of covered the whole of the the content of this I mean there's other stuff that happens they go to Mexico they go on uh, yeah. like a bit of a Latin America tour American tour uh Re- reboosted that ego. Uh, the, the, oh yeah, go Molly. Well, the one thing I wanted to bring up that I don't think we brought up yet is that there is like a segment that we're, they're basically talking about alternate um, fo- forms of making money off of your music besides signing to a major label, and they bring yes. in Amanda Palmer, who oh at that point had done a Kickstarter that was basically like, "Please give me money for album," and it, it like totally over-indexed, and she made like way more money than expected. And then I think this was pre her getting on Patreon because that's her yes. main yes. form of yeah. Yes. So this was if if anything it was sort of prescient is that they they showed that this there was an example of someone who because this is something that uh, you know Thirty Seconds of Mars is toying with throughout the movie except like not really the the idea of going fully independent and actually yes. like trying to find a way to get out of their contract for real for good not just find a fair contract but to leave and find some other way to make money yeah. and then they uh-huh. showed palmer as an example of how to do that and metric there's a, there's which data this movie i think i think i believe it's it's either tomo in in share but they do have the stock being like should we go independent and they're sort of they kind of reach this conclusion where they're kind of realize like you know if they go independent like you know they ask the question what like fully independent bands are out there that are successful and they can't yeah. find an example metric? And I think they kind of realize <laughs> metric yeah yeah they, they have this weird thing where they're basically just sort of like we are a band that is simultaneous. Like we're, we're getting screwed by our label, but at the same time, like we are such a big band that we have to have that infrastructure of a major label. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise we just can't be a band. Right. Like, which is again, like that's a reasonable thing to say. I just listened to a podcast appearance by Charlie XCX where she basically said as much. She was just like, yeah, like independent it makes sense for some people. And obviously like, that's a, you know, that's a nice thing to say, but she's like, at the end of the day, I just don't want to deal with stuff. I don't, I, I, I want <laughs> someone else to take care of the business aspect of music for me, which I get. Which, uh, sure. That's, Jared I talks about that, which Jared talks yeah. about in the documentary, but at the same time, it's like, okay, it's like, well, I just want to focus on the music and stuff. It's like, <laughs> what fucking music? Cause you what don't music? talk about the music yeah. at all. A hundred, it's, it's hundred takes of the same, of the same guitar part. Which he yeah. seems to do completely arbitrarily. Again, yes. to go back to the idea of the musician, the actor as musician, he's like, you know what I think would be good for this movie? Showing me being a perfectionist. Yeah, and uh, like the writing of the songs is never, the writing, the rehearsing of the songs is never shown. No. They do have the whiteboard, the crucial whiteboard. The crucial oh, yes, of course. You got, if you're a band and you're, you know, recording an album, you got to have the whiteboard that has like some 
song titles as well as just sort of inspirational vibes on there to like guide your wait what was the thing that was on the wall of their makeshift studio there was like a printed out piece of paper which i took a picture of when i was watching the movie it's a it's a piece of paper that's like tucked behind like a mixing board or something and the words that you can read are it's all caps honest engaging celebration brave sexual faith war community that's all in one one square energetic personal and then energy energy which is that's that's what you need to make an album is just have some nouns ultimately it is a very dramatic unfocused documentary a two hour long documentary about a band that decides to renew its contract with its record with its record company Mm -hmm. Um, often grasping at an interesting story but ultimately uh, its reach exceeding its grasp because the only thing it really can grasp is uh, the shell of the person of Jared Leto and how great of a cool guy he is. I, I think it is notable that his acting career is a never mentioned in this movie, despite no. him winning an Academy Award. The, the uh, one two person years yeah. after this comes out, something yeah. like that. So this something was at like the that. point in time where he was basically just taking a hiatus from acting to focus fully on music. Because I think he only between like oh seven and twenty thirteen, I think he did like one movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was it was like between like there was like the the uh, what who's the guy who assassinated John John Lennon? Mark David Chapman Mark, yeah, <laughs> he did the Mark David Chapman movie where he gained like a bunch of weight and the movie sucked and no one really liked it that much yeah. and then I think he did some random art house thing in like oh nine and then didn't come back mm-hmm. to the acting until uh, Dallas Buyers Club where and then he won. wins the fucking Osco. When, wins the Oscar and and you know fully goes kind of doesn't fully go back to actor you know doesn't go back at the, at that point in time he's kind of goes in between you know it's much more free form at this point yeah it's I like, mean he be, sometimes he becomes he becomes the fucking Joker he is one of the few people in the world who actually does become the Joker yes mm-hmm. uh, but even then then he comes out with two more thirty seconds to Mars albums and they're oh huge fucking hits. Yeah, the Ellen performance. Oh god, should we pull that? up the Ellen performance? Yes, please. I, I haven't oh, seen this. Oh god, it is so. a visual element, but uh, if you're if you're playing along at home, uh, this is worth uh, getting into. You can try try. What was this from? It. This was from like 2016, 2017. 2017. Okay. 2017. I'm so happy our next guests are back with their first new music in four years. Here to perform "Walk on Water." Please welcome Thirty Seconds to Mars. Thirty Seconds to Mars. Oh, there's a stage. No one's on the stage. There's no microphone. What's going on? Oh, and the oh, cameraman a drum is beat. wilding. Oh, there's Shannon in the crowd playing, oh, playing the drum machine. Oh, my God. There's Tomo oh. with the acoustic guitar also in the crowd. Very uncomfortable people sitting around all these members of the band. Did they tell the audience to look completely disinterested that the, the artists <laughs> were among them? Because they do. There's oh. Jared. Full... <laughs> Full Jesus, Jesus mode. Yeah. Yes. It's like for the wrestling fans, it's like when CM Punk started the Straight Edge Society and oh, started he, looking like Jesus. He's wearing a sweater that looks like it was sewed by Ella M. Hoff. <laughs> <laughs> Two people moving to the music, everyone else staring directly into the camera. Oh, wow. This is uh, wildly awkward. A choir. Everyone stands up. Oh, and then up. everybody stands up as once. People pretending they know the words of this song singing. Oh, no. 
This is. Oh, oh there's back an Alan. Sit back, sit, sit back down. Oh, sit down. See, you know, behind the scenes, there are at least three producers gesticulating wildly to get people to behave. There's a video of uh, Jared uh, hyping the crowd up for this performance. Oh, my God. I, I should also point out really quickly, you would think this video, as embarrassing as it is, would have, like, a pretty, like, split like-to-dislike ratio. 33K likes, only 611 dislikes. Incredible. People love the, the cult. The cult of Jared Leto is strong. Yeah. Oh, he's there, wearing a poncho. Say, he's wearing a poncho. It's not a sweater. Here, Here's the thing where you have to remember that we are all in the end, if we are doing this podcast, that we are uh, out of touch media elites. Correct. I have to, if I had to put money on it, I would say that the plurality of Americans think Jared Leto is the best Joker. <sighs> Has there ever been a poll about this? You're not wrong because, again, there is a lot of those, like, there's a lot of Jared Leto Joker cosplays. Look, I would not be surprised if uh, the plurality, if, if the highest amount of Joker fans at this point in America are, are identify with the Jared Leto Joker. They're like, yeah, yeah he was I don't know the He had all the tattoos. One. There's the Joaquin one, though. Uh, I mean, that's yeah, where that guy's we talk cool. about Jokerification. He's that, cool. He's that cool. Jared Leto was a cool gangster Joker with tattoos who, was a, who had fucking money and snakes in sco- suits and Ferraris and shit. He's the coolest one. Yeah, he's like XXX Tentacion. He's yeah, he's like Xbox Live Avatar Joker. I I this I song can sucks. I've, I've I've seen enough of this. Yeah, it's this song so is terrible. It's it's really like I really cannot stress enough. The albums get worse because it's like them really embracing the more like shitty electronic mm-hmm. stuff that like alternative rock was doing at this time. Yeah, and Jared is not he's not a good songwriter. I again. When what he is was that in the emo bag, that was where he was at his best. When he was in that that emo butt rock bag. Yes. Yeah. And this is he's he's so out of his element. You know. Obviously what is, what is that trying to be, Maddie? Like, what is that song? Like, what is that trying to parrot? Because no way, Jared is that's coming out of his dome. I don't. Yeah, that's uh, my question. It is is he actually the songwriter here? He is. He he is the one who's writing most, if not all, the Thirty Seconds to Mars songs. I, I'm trying to think who he's like. Who he's like trying to jack swag from? Yeah. <sighs> like um, no Hos- I, Hosier, Hosier. Oh, oh, that's yeah, a good that's one. a good. Yeah, I would say Hosier? that's yeah. Yeah, Hosier, any of those like fucking guys. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's to his credit, there's not many people trying to do that that straight up white gospel thing uh, in you know yeah. 2017. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why not. there's not that many white it, gospel acts. It it's also, again, can I just, I, I would just like to read the first verse of Walk on Water. Can you, ev- can you even see what you're fighting for? Bloodlust and a holy war. Listen up, hear the patriot shout. Times are changing. In the end, the choice was clear. Take a shot in the face of fear. Fist up in the firing line. Times are changing. Is this an anti-Trump song? He straight up says something about the alt-right at some point in this yeah. song. The word alt-right Which is, very, is used. It's very. I I I don't think it's it's. I know it's very recent history, and therefore it's kind of hard to like take the temperature of. But I've been doing a watch through of RuPaul's Drag Race, and the <laughs> election of Trump ha- honestly changed the tone of that show 
extremely to the point where like every challenge or everything that they did in it was related to like America and the election and like, you know, getting people to reach across the aisle and all this stuff. So I feel like maybe Jared Leto just came under that same kind of spell of like hashtag resistance. Yeah. Now 30 seconds to Mars is now resistance. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) So the the album Welcome Water, it does come from the album that's called America where it has uh, 10 variant covers which I think are just like the most popular Google searches of like a specific category. The one that Wikipedia is showing, I think, is the most popular uh, sex positions. It's cowgirl, it's doggy, it's face, it's 69, it's scissors, the crab. Just <laughs> the oh crab. I gotta, I gotta see if I can pull find uh, more of these covers because I think we. Oh, we I just thought you were gonna Google some of those positions, and I was gonna say no, thank no. you. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's Ki- there's the one that's like Kylie, Elvis, Kanye, Jesus, LeBron, Oprah, like oh, most he, favorite, most or famous, something? or just like most famous people or most well known people. Yeah, here we go. It's it's all the news. It's oh yeah, yeah. we got we have uh, what is the fuck. Is this There's a plastic surgery one with different kinds of plastic surgery. Yeah. The richest people Sports? or something. I don't know. Water companies. I don't even know what. Those even... are Humira and Abilify are prescription drugs. I think those are the most oh, uh, profitable like prescription. Thing. Dr- yeah. Big Pharma thing. Exactly. God, we got so fucking serious in the back half of the 2010s, as I'm sure you talked about a bunch in your own podcast. Like, everyone just got so goddamn morose. No more party rock. Everything was just so miserable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you were saying, Molly, like, the the Trump election made people who really had no business thinking that their art is political. Uh, (laughs) Not to disparage the the, uh, queens of RuPaul's drag race, but a lot of other people being like, actually, uh, the things that I would release exactly the same otherwise are a very political statement that should be taken importantly. I just want to say those lyrics to Walk on Water sounded exactly like they could be on This Is War. So uh, I think Jared is maybe just the exception that he's always just a dumb guy who thinks he is uh, at the center of conflict, the, the protagonist of life. And in right. some ways, his holy he is. war was really against EMI. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which he then, which he lost. I'm sorry. He, he I'm sorry. You, you lost the war. You resigned with EMI. You became part of the machine. You did. You did the bad thing. Did you he lost. lose? Wait, did he lose or did he win? I mean, he had a record. It just deal. seems like they settled. It just seems like it was a yeah. draw. It's like he uh, does, we'll resign the deal. He uh, by the premise point. of his documentary and the thesis that he puts apart, and he lost. He was he yes. was broken and uh, brought under to the the uh, whims of the big record label. He was not able to uh, may, maybe under terms that were slightly more amenable to him, but in the end, he was the again the. First thing in the the documentary is we are quitting EMI, yes. And in the end, they they rejoin, and it, it is framed as a moral crusade for their artistic freedom. And in the end, they rejoin. It's I'm sorry, you lost. You lost yeah, your own documentary that a, you d- directed and started. There's a there's a point like three fourths through the movie where he brings up the uh, very cool point of taking down the system from within, and I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, Jared, you definitely <laughs> do that by resigning totally, your totally. contract. I, yeah, that's where I I know we were I 
I think this was pre Mike, but like my my sense of solidarity was sorely tested <laughs> when yeah. seeing like I'm I'm aware yeah. you know we've been we've talked on this podcast a million times before about how everyone's contracts suck and the record industry is corrupt and uh, extracts so much value out of the artist who is a worker and then it's just really hard to look at thirty seconds to Mars and being like yes these are the workers I, that well, we're also trying to protect yeah uh, I think the line can be drawn because Jared Leto is not an artist. Let's. That's. I think that's the crux of all this, Jared. Mm, mm-hmm. I am not supporting him because he's not an artist or a worker. Mm, mm. There's uh, like a point in the documentary where he was like, you know, if you you know work like a regular nine to five job, you can just go up to your boss and ask for and a quit. raise. Oh yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> quit. we musicians, we can't do that. It's yes, like, or or go find another job. Yeah, like, I'm like yes, in this recession, totally mm-hmm. everyone can yeah, definitely totally do it. Me down. as Jared Leto, a mus- Jared Leto the musician, cannot just simply go find another job. Yeah, uh, like me, Jared Leto, the Oscar-winning actor. Yeah, there's not much with Jared. That's the end. It's it's a it's like he loses. Uh, maybe the music industry will be better. Who fucking knows? Uh, he goes on and starts a cult and has a festival in Croatia uh, right. going on where he and his cult go have a uh, have a three day music festival, which. Which, uh, which, by the way, if there's any 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 venture capitalists, any any rich people oh, listening yes. to this podcast, Gavin would love to go to the Thirty Seconds of Mars I, Island yeah, in Croatia. Yeah, no, for real. He will write an article. He'll do a podcast. He will experience this festival and and talk about it for you if you give him five thousand dollars at least. Yeah, uh, I would love to do yoga on an island with Jared Leto and not be allowed to drink alcohol for like a week or something. I'm sure it'd be really cool. If you're listening to this and and are interested in what like the tone and and everything of this documentary is, I would almost recommend watching it with all this background information because going in and like knowing the whole thing as like a Jared Leto directed project starring Jared Leto about Jared Leto's music and about how you know uh, oppressed he is by the enter like that that he is the most punished man in the entertainment industry (laughs) as like the tone of the documentary like knowing that as the context going in I feel like it might be worth it or interesting to watch like i don't know 30 or 40 minutes of this just to like g- get into that like leto mindset with the healthy perspective of that you you are living inside an argument of his creation you know the twisted uh, mind of jared leto yeah, yeah. If, it, if it was free for streaming i mean we had to pay 2.99 to rent it i wouldn't i wouldn't pay money for this but uh there is there's a there's a there's a pirated version on youtube you could watch for free Shh, okay great that. so like you didn't, you didn't yeah. hear that. if you want to check that out for a second and just like zone out to to the you the leto verse I, I it's oh i would say it's almost worth it just to observe the the tautological depths of of this documentary but here's the thing if you want to learn about jared leto you're not going to get anything on this documentary. If you want to learn about the economics of the music industry and major label stuff, you might get something out of it. There are segments where you do kind of learn more about about this stuff. But again, it's mm-hmm. in the framing of about 30 seconds to Mars. So as soon as it reaches an interesting point, you're pulled out. Because it's Jared. Yeah. Because it's Jared. Oh, God. He went to uh, Jared. Yeah, yeah. Which we, we ha- which we barely have gotten into the potential allegations against Mr. Leto. But I feel oh, like sure anyone listening probably has some degree of awareness. It of, is of established yes. that he is a creep. Yeah. What, what about you, Gavin? What do you think? Uh, I I think if you, 
I don't know. I don't know who this is for, to be quite honest. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it was for anyone back in 2012. And it's I definitely don't think this is for anybody now. You have to really, really like want to know like a very specific niche uh, element of the 2008 financial crisis mm-hmm. and uh, the lens of which you you view this uh, this crisis through is not uh the lens that I think is worth your time and effort. But if you want to just uh, pull something up on YouTube in the background while you play Fortnite <laughs> and glance every once in a while, that's that's about the level. Uh, let's move confidently into the end of this episode. Uh, Maddie, Gavin, so wonderful to have you on to talk this. Uh, this I do have to say genuinely interesting documentary. Yeah. There is a lot here, even if it's not good. Uh, yes. th- this is, I would say, yeah. probably the best way to absorb, uh, a, you know, what the deal with Thirty Seconds to Mars. But anyway, thank you for bringing this to us. Yes. Where can we find you? What do you guys got to plug? Uh, we have the Indie Heads podcast. You find it pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. We have a Patreon, patreoncom podcast. We just wrapped up our '90s rock number ones series, the the ending of the trilogy, where we go through the uh, the modern rock or alternative songs charts. On Billboard, going through all the number ones. Uh, so we just wrapped up the 90s rock series, which uh, Molly and Chris were on, episode four. We talked about Peter Gabriel's Steam and the greatest music video of all time. Of all it's time. A, it's a doozy. And almost the greatest song of the entire 90s rock number one series close. was that <laughs> close to winning the, the, the little bracket that we had. Uh, and then other than that, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're done with that series. But we got, uh, we're kind of, we're actually putting up some stuff somewhat weekly. Sundays, if you're a patron. Uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, if you're, uh, you know, on the public feeds. Uh, we have a series coming up in in January. Uh, our next adventure is Five Morons versus Maroon Five, as, <laughs> as, as the number good. one's crew. Uh, myself, Gavin, and Alex, and two other guests every week will go through uh, the Maroon Five singles discography. Uh, so it's gonna be a little <laughs> short series, but we wonderful. We, it's a similar band to 30 Seconds to Mars because it's a band that, like, clearly a lot of America loves this band. But why? Why have they endured yes. over the years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a that, true that's mystery. Some, some uh, true earworms, but also baffling uh, popularity and longevity. Uh, very, very interested in that. Uh, mm-hmm. Excited for you guys to have the moves like Jagger. Uh, I will put all your <laughs> yes. links in the uh, episode description. Uh, at this point, I have no idea when these episodes are getting up. We have entered a very lax period of release for and introducing. Hopefully in the new year, we can get back on schedule. But we, we have some stuff coming up throughout the end of the year. If you're, if you're listening to this, you're still one of the true heads who, who stick with us every time we put up episodes. Uh, Molly, oh, yeah. anything that you, you have that you want to direct people to? Um, I just uh, had a music video that I shot and co-directed come out for the Brooklyn band Shy Baby. The song is called Pizza. It's about getting drunk and hooking up with people. And the video, I'd say, is pretty fun. So you should go look at that on, I guess, YouTube. I don't think it's on Vimeo. I don't know where else you can find it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. YouTube.com slash, uh, you know. Shy Baby Pizza. Shy Baby Pizza. I have nothing. Um for now get, Our, get chris that damn give him the youtube button yeah subscribe, subscribe to chapo youtube yes. Sub, uh, subscribe <laughs> to uh chapo uh, chapo uh, youtube.com slash chapo trap house uh i'm less than five thousand subscriptions away from getting my coveted a hundred thousand subscriptions in a plaque from youtube commemorating it so i'm really hoping for that by the end of the year 
We'll try to get that. Um, otherwise, you can. Uh, what do you? What do we say? Uh, send us an email, email. At andintroducingpod at gmail dot mm-hmm. or find us on Twitter at andintropod. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod or rate and review us on iTunes as always. I think it's been a minute since we've gotten a review probably because we haven't been putting out many episodes. <laughs> but as always, the number one thing you can do is tell a friend. Say you enjoy this podcast to somebody you know and hope that they will listen to it on the value of a personal recommendation. But until next time, which will be whenever we feel like it, uh, this has been and introducing. <laughs>